From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Just before the coaching carousel started spinning wildly out of control, Florida presented the calm before the storm with a quick and direct search that led to Louisiana's Billy Napier as the new head football coach of the Orange and Blue. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to discuss the new direction of the program, a chaotic rivalry win over Florida State, an action-packed week for men's basketball, and the latest wave of moral questions posed by the shifting college football landscape in the PAT. Then, women's basketball transfer Zippy Broughton talks about transitioning from the Big Apple to Gainesville, mixing meditation with athletics, and much more. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. The obvious place to start with this week's roundtable is where we started last week. Uh, The story has come full circle. Last week we talked about there was going to be a coaching change, and in very tidy time, uh, the search was wrapped up. It was about as drama-free as a major coaching search goes these days. Um, So for both of you, I guess your thoughts on just how smoothly this process went and Billy Napier being the uh, the new coach of the Gators. Well, you know, Napier surfaced as a name to watch immediately. And, uh, you know, Scott Strickland, I thought, did a good job of uh, making it happen. You know, he uh, stopped over in Lafayette, Louisiana, to visit Napier a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And you're right, in this day and age, Adam, uh, it, it, I guess this is considered a kind of a relatively – drama-free coaching search uh, uh, that a lot of it goes to Strickland. I'm sure he had a plan. Uh, I'm sure he had a lot of questions uh, in his head before he met with uh, uh, Billy Napier last week. And uh, whatever those questions were, uh, Billy Napier checked a lot of Scott's boxes because, you know, according to Scott, he said that was his leading candidate and the only uh, person he met for the job. So, um, that's that's a smooth one, and it's a uh, one that the Gators fans certainly hope works out smoothly on the field. You look at this guy's resume. I mean, he's been in the SEC. He's been a head coach. Uh, he's done things at Louisiana that no coach has ever done there. I mean, this is a program that had not been ranked in more than 70 years, had never won 10 games in a season. He's won 10 games in a row three straight years. Uh, they've been ranked, I think they finished uh, in the top 15 last year. I know they're number 20 entering the uh, their championship game. So um, it's an interesting hire. I mean, it's uh, uh, Billy Napier. If you follow college football, you've heard that name a lot the last few years. Uh, now Gator fans are going to hear it a lot more often because he's a new head coach. If you think of the post-Steve Spurrier era, Adam, you know, you went Ron Zook. Um, who had never been a head coach before. Um, he was also uh, uh, highly publicized. He was he was the third choice after Bob Stoops and, and Mike Shanahan. And, and I think Jeremy Foley was in a situation where 
he had always had uh, had high hopes for uh, Ron Zook and had always been very close to him and thought the guy deserved to be a head coach. It was probably too much for Ron Zook at that time. Then you look at Will Muschamp, who had had a uh, who had tracked at, at, at been a coordinator um, and been a um, uh, at, at some at some marquee programs and what had won a national championship and had had a had a piece of one had worked for obviously he had tracked with with Nick Saban and had, and had been in the NFL um, but had never been a head coach okay then then, then you go the McElwain route okay um, a guy who again a Saban guy uh, who got a chance to be a head coach out at Colorado State and put on some pretty impressive um, offensive numbers made it made him an intriguing candidate that didn't work out then of course Dan Mullen who had been a head coach who who had Florida ties um and 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 who had won in the SEC never big in the SEC but uh had had done very very well as well as anybody could do um at Mississippi State a very difficult place to play um to win rather um this guy I think of those uh coaches I think this guy closest more closely tracks to to Jim McElwain. In fact, he worked for Jim McElwain at Colorado State. Um, and I, I, I think what you're going to see when he gets here is some of the similar things that Jim McElwain tried to do relative to uh, restructuring the, the recruiting side of, uh, of what Florida was doing. And, uh, you know, just to, to be frank, I think McElwain had some pretty good ideas with that when he got here, how he had to straighten some things out there. His, his stuff went sideways for other reasons. Um, but this guy uh, spent a little longer in that in that head coaching role and was successful. What it was we're talking thirty nine and twelve overall, Louisiana. Like Scott said, they had never been a uh, they never won ten games or what seventy seventy some years, Scott. Yeah, ranked. Um, yeah, twenty tw- yeah, ranked. Excuse me, twenty seven and seven in league play, including sixteen and zero against uh, his, his his side of the division. So he stayed there a little long and, and they, he brought in a Saban plan. And if you go back, there's a really good story that, uh, that Ross Dellinger wrote um, at Sports Illustrated in 2018, that first year that, that uh, Billy Napier was at Louisiana Lafayette about how he restructured everything. And they gave him stuff there that you would think uh, a place like Louisiana wouldn't have the resources to do. And he got that ball going with the Saban model, as it were, in terms of recruiting. Well, um, this guy has a reputation of being a bulldog on the recruiting trail. Um, now he's going to get resources here. Uh, there, there's been a commitment behind the scenes in terms of some things that he's going to get. For, um, and plus, he has an $85 million uh, uh, football facility that no coach at Florida has ever had uh, as a resource. So um, he's stepping into a really enviable position, uh, I believe, on that front. He's got all the all the things in place. Now it's up to him to to bring in the model and put it all together and make it happen and, and get that ball rolling. And of course, if he's got where I'm looking forward to see this guy at the podium and see his personality and see uh, how, you know, I, I I think winning the press conference is overrated to some degree, but it sure sure makes people feel good in December. Um, and I got a feeling Billy Napier is going to come here on Sunday. Um, they're going to roll out the red carpet for him. Obviously there's going to be some pomp and circumstance, of course, like when every new hot head coach rolls in. Uh, but I think that'll be a pretty cool day for, for the Gators. I think they're going to be pretty happy with what they see from him. 
you made a point there that, that was interesting, Chris, about Jim McElwain. And I think people forget he was the one that really pushed for and and successfully lobbied for the indoor practice facility and made sure it was a full size. You know, initially the plans were to make it, I think, a 70. He said, no, 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 we got to do it this way. McElwain had some good ideas. He just ultimately seemed to be a little overmatched by the setting, by the, the you know, by just the, the size of the program. And I think part of that comes back to culture. And that's why I want to ask you guys, what do you think the significance is of recognizing that his path is similar to that of someone like McElwain? What's the significance of Napier being a guy who played college football in the Southeast? He's coached in the Southeast. He's from the Southeast. He seems to get and come from the football, the college football culture of the Southeast, whereas McElwain, he was a West Coast guy. He was Northeast guy. He wasn't really entrenched in what it meant to live and breathe and essentially have football as a religion the way it is here. How important do you think that factor is in Napier being the right guy for this job? Well, I don't think it hurts, uh, you know, Adam. I Look, here's, here's my take on this. I was asked on a couple of radio shows yesterday, is this a home run hire? And on paper, I like to hire a lot, but we don't know if any of these are home run hires until down the road, right? I don't know if Brian Kelly is going to do well at LSU. I don't know if Lincoln Riley is going to do well at USC. What I do know is that what we talked about earlier, and Chris pointed out, when you look at all in the contextual of the Florida job and Billy Napier's background, I, I like this match a lot. Uh, along your specific question, he is a Southern guy. He he's from North Georgia. He knows the SEC. He knows he has a lot of contacts in recruiting in the South. Uh, he's recruited Florida. He's landed big time players in the SEC, such as you know Coach Amari Cooper and Calvin Ridley at Alabama. He's landed a lot of good players at Louisiana, which is hard to do with when you do what he's done record wise at Louisiana. You're doing something right. But I think the most important culture part that we can talk about in Billy Napier is, is the Nick Saban culture part. And that's what you guys have spoken about. Jim McElwain had some of that and advanced the program at Florida. And I mentioned this in a little story I wrote the other day. There's only four coaches in college football right now who have a national title on the resume. Right. Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, Dabo Sweeney, and Mac Brown. Well, this guy has worked. He's been hired by three of those guys. The only one who hasn't hired him is Mac Brown. And he didn't work at Florida State long. It was one of those jobs where he got, uh, he took it, uh, stepped foot there, but then Saban came calling. He says, you know what, I'm going to go up to Alabama and join him. And so I think when you think about culture and what he he understands, uh, those guys right now are the ones who are doing it right uh, away from the field, building the program and on the field. Uh, and I think that's going to be – that's just huge in the day and age that we in. For whatever reason, that is the system that has won national titles uh, in the last decade. And now Billy Napier is going to bring that to Florida with the most resources he's ever had to work with, the best state he's ever probably had to recruit in, and the best brand that he's ever certainly – I mean, Alabama is a pretty big brand, too. Obviously, the Gators are a big brand, uh, too. So, I mean, he's he's the head man over here, so that's different for him. Uh, he's got a lot of selling points, and now we'll get to see how he can build a program and then 
in the fall, we'll get to see how it looks on the field. But uh, I do think it's a good fit on a lot of different levels. I'm not sure that growing up in the in the region is a be all end on. I know that's not what you were suggesting at all, Adam. I'm not I'm not saying that, but I mean, M- Muschamp lived in a house on Hogtown <laughs> Creek. Okay, <laughs> he played in Georgia. Uh, uh, he he wanted he he was d- defensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken, at L- at LSU, but did not have head coaching experience. Had not he did not have head coaching program. experience, but he certainly had Nick Saban experience. No, that is true. Uh, Jim McElwain had Nick Saban experience. All these guys have Nick Saban experience, except they're they're you hear that all the time, but they're not Nick Saban, right? Okay, but uh, so whoever the next the closest thing to Nick Saban, I guess so far would probably be Jimbo Fisher, someone who has a national championship on his resume and is somebody who is a band on the recruiting trail right well so, kirby kirby smart might be joining that group in a matter that, of weeks that's, that's right that's right that's right but he did he's not in that he's in, not in that list of, of national champions but 100 he may he actually may be the he's certainly the closest without without a national championship in, sure. in his back pocket but um you know we're looking for the person who can who you know everyone's looking for the the, the next nick saban as it were and i i don't know i'm not saying that billy napier is and no one billy napier doesn't want anyone saying that he is but uh, that's, it's a proven, it's a, it's a proven model. Okay. And it's, it's, but it's not a proven model without with it's, it's a proven model in Georgia. It's a proven model. And I, you know, they're using it in Georgia, you know, they're using it at, in, in college station, Billy Napier is going to bring it to Florida. Uh, Jim McElwain tried to do that. And, uh, there, there was some stuff that just didn't go right. And uh, uh, that that had nothing to do with the model. It had to do with personalities. Okay, mm-hmm. that 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 did not mesh. So um, uh, this this guy is probably his personality. Like you said, he's not he's not. This guy's not from Montana. He is he is he is from South Georgia. His wife is from Gainesville. Did you know that? Gainesville, Georgia. That. Gainesville, oh, okay. Georgia. Okay, okay, me. okay. You got me. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he he know he he know he knows the culture. I would imagine, and I and I think. There's some there's some pretty crazy numbers, and I think Scott will probably know these. There's some pretty crazy numbers on on the how well he's done recruiting at that level. Correct, Scott, in terms of how he's been able to the, the quality of players that he's brought to a place like Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, I mean he's landed you know three four stars consistently. I don't know how many five stars if any, but the bottom line is with what we're talking about here is all this Saban program the. The model, well, he certainly made it work at Louisiana. So I think if you if you can make it work at Louisiana for four seasons, it, it should work at Florida. Uh, but w- with that, we'll, we'll learn more about Billy Napier, you know, because he's going to be under a different kind of microscope, obviously, at Florida. And he's also going to face probably some tougher teams than they faced at Louisiana consistently. So there's all these X factors. But, again – when I look at this hire, I like it for a lot of reasons. And I like the fact that he's an offensive coach. You know, Muschamp was defense. Kirby Smart's defense. Saban's defense. Obviously, McElwain was offense. So, um, I've always been – I've always thought an offensive background coach just fits better at Florida. Uh, and so, he's got that going for him. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's I can't – I'm like Chris. I'm really uh, looking forward to – uh, you know, kind of seeing him and meeting him on Sunday, and, and he's going to do his press conference, and you know what he's going to do right after that, right? Take pictures? Go recruit? He's going to start recruiting. Go, go recruit. <laughs> and you know who else is going to be doing that right after this championship game? 
Nick Saban. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And, and Kirby and, Smart. And, 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 and Kirby, Kirby Smart. Smart. Yeah. Yes. I'm, a, I'm anxious also to uh, uh, about staff. I mean, uh, you know, every, everybody wants, wants to know about that. And it's been really uh, 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 the box, of the, the lid has been closed on this. If, and, you know, obviously he, he's got some ideas. You see some names going out there, but there hasn't been any, any like uh, uh, red hot buzz on that front. But obviously staffs are going to be very, very important. And um, guys are going to have to come in here and, and start rallying. I watched uh, Billy Napier's uh, Sunbelt Conference press, uh, uh, press conference. He Obviously, that he wanted that to be more about his current team because he wants to lead them to a championship. And it was important to him. He said coaching in that game was non-negotiable. Uh, and, and, you know, th- that's, that's admirable on, on his point. Uh, I mean, Brian Kelly bolted his team and they're, they're, they're in a hunt for a college football playoff for God's sakes. Um, but he's, he's going to, he's going to coach in that game and obviously um, hit, hit the ground running. But I, I did like the, the loyalty he showed there, but he did also make the point that um, he wasn't thinking very much about Florida at the point, but he has, he did carve out, parts of the day early in the morning and late at night that he would, he, I think the way he put it was we're look, looked at some things relative to the challenge ahead. So uh, um, he's multitasking right now, I would imagine, but um, I hope for his sake and for his team's sake that, and, and I'm sure it is his, his, his focus come Saturday will be on winning that championship. And that'd be a really good uh, um, kind of send off for him when he gets on that plane the next morning and flies to Gainesville. Yeah. Before we leave this discussion on football, <laughs> there was a game this past weekend against Florida State. That seems like forever yeah. ago now because of the mountain of college football news and chaos there's been. Yeah, um, it was a it was a classic too. Adam. It, it was and, a classic. And, and chaos is probably the word that would best describe that game. Um, but having said that, you could tell it meant a lot to them. I don't know that anybody would try to convince you it was a well played game. But in terms of where Florida is, knowing that there's a new direction starting and that's a positive trend, on the flip side, you leave Florida State in a spot where, you know, they're supposed to be the ones building in year two. And the way it looked on Saturday, Florida still appears ahead of Florida State, even despite the issues the Gators have suffered from all season. Yeah, I know in the wake of that game, you know, there has been a lot of talk about how sloppy it was. And it was two five and six teams out there. You could tell they were five and six teams, but... I do think it was big for the Gators and, uh, on a, you know, kind of several fronts. Number one, they won. They got bowl eligible. And now we're going to see uh, this weekend uh, what bowl and that kind of thing. So they can still have a winning season. A uh, second, anytime you bring in a new coach uh, and you win the biggest rivalry game on your schedule in the state, that's never a bad thing. So, you know, Billy Napier is going to hit the ground running here recruiting. And he's only got a couple of weeks before the early signing day. But you know he's going to be able to get maybe a couple kids that him and Florida State are up against. You know uh, he'll be able to turn a couple of guys, and he'll probably maybe get a guy or two from his Louisiana uh, recruitment list right now. So you just don't know. He, but he he gave him a little bit of momentum that he needed. Uh, I think that can help him in two weeks. We'll see how that shakes out if he can get them up in the standings a little bit higher than where they are now, and then. Third, I think, you know, you got to feel good for the seniors, man. I mean, it's been a tough year for them. Uh, certainly after three straight New Year's Six Bowls, uh, they weren't looking at, you know, having to beat Florida State to get bowl eligible in their fourth year. Uh, so I did res- I did like the way they responded. I give those guys credit. 
I'd also give the fans a lot of credit. I mean, that was a good atmosphere on Sunday. Really uh, was. I yeah. mean, yeah, on Saturday, if you were inside that stadium uh, with the atmosphere, you wouldn't really have known it was two five and six teams playing for Bulldogs bully. It was a four to four to state robbery game, and you know, I just thought want to give a hat tip to the fans. Yeah, and I'll give a hat tip to David Whitley, who uh, after the <laughs> onside kick attempt turned around and came up to Scott and I, and he said. After that, wide right doesn't seem so bad, does it? Tip of the hat to the Gainesville Sun columnist, yes. Uh, who, who came up with the uh, the whiff at the griff? That was the one that, uh, that I saw circulating pretty quickly. Uh, not bad, I guess. Oh, not yeah. bad, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, seriously, the worst onside kick in history? It I has to be. I mean, let's come up with the worst one. Go. Yeah, Go. I mean, I know fo- they've been playing football a long time, but I, I can't imagine unless someone kicked it backward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's else. worse than I don't know what's worse than a half inch onside. Kick attempt. So one day, uh, maybe one yeah. kicker tripped on and the other team recovered. I don't know. Yeah. And, ju- and just, uh, you know, not to uh, be let, but uh, you could tell it was an important game to the people in the stadium. Okay, and whether you know, bat, no one out in Portland, Oregon, or or uh, uh, Yuma, Arizona, was enthralled by that game by any stretch of the imagination. But um, the people in the stadium that, that was, a, it was I was surprised at the at the environment, just just like Scott said, and it was obviously important to the the the, the players on both sides. And uh, it, you know, it was much better to be the Gators walking out to the parking lot to drive back to their apartments than it was getting on the bus. For Florida State on I-10 and go back after after that debacle. I mean, so uh, uh, you've won three in a row against FSU. I, I, I have to say it's the first time since 2012 that both Florida and football and basketball have beaten Florida State. So wow. um, that's that's something to be uh, to to be uh, to celebrate. I want to turn our attention now to basketball. And uh, Chris, it was a, a crazy week. I mean the highs of the buzzer beater to, I guess, the lows of, of losing your first game. Uh, it was bound to happen at some point. Uh, but overall, kind of a you know a week where you got to think they've definitely made some progress and grabbed a, a quad one win that's looking even better after what Ohio State did to, to Duke. Yeah, and, and had a real opportunity to, uh, to, to grab another one um, Wednesday night against Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, just to, just to rewind, early in the season is so much about trying to determine uh, an identity and the identity that the team carved out for itself for the first six games and uh, in, in winning the first six games in, in that incredible buzzer beating win last week in the Fort Myers tip off with Tyree Appleby shot against an Ohio state team that uh, uh, two nights ago, three nights ago, uh, defeated, defeated number one ranked Duke in the uh, ACC big 10 challenge. The identity that the team had forged for itself was one of um, they 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 like to use gritty and grimy, but it all uh, begins on defense, and they like that because when you when you go into a season uh, like Florida did, with the additions that they made with two former conference defensive players of the year, with a guy like C.J. Felder coming off the bench with a length in the post like Colin Castleton, um, that was something that they knew if they could uh, put it all together. A uh, guy like Anthony Derugi, you know, his his athleticism bouncing around in the paint. They thought they could uh, they they could become a a, um, a very good defensive team. Um, they 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 ascended you know into a top ten defensive team efficiency wise. Uh, they embraced that identity or what have you. They and they go to Oklahoma for this game and um, they got a little loose on that end. 
they got a little loose when it came to turnovers. They'd done pretty well um, uh, take, taking care of the basketball. Um, ultimately, it was it was turnovers, it was defense, and it was horrendous three point shooting that uh, that allowed Oklahoma uh, to allow to uh, hand Florida its first uh, loss of the season, seventy four sixty seven, in this first of what will be a home and home series. The Gators, uh, excuse me, uh, Oklahoma will come to Florida again next year. But um, it started off poorly uh, uh, for Florida. They turned the ball over, I believe it was, five of their first seven possessions. Um, really uncharacteristic uh, uh, for them. Um, looked really, really rattled against, uh, you know, on, on, in their first true road game of the season. Fell behind nine to nothing. Uh, it was a 10-point lead uh, or very early in the game. But to the gritty and grimy part of the equation, uh, they fought back and they took a lead late in the half. It was a one point uh, halftime game. Um, again, Oklahoma kind of kind of started to take the lead out a little bit in the second half, but Florida got it got itself back again. I think they led three times in the game by either one or two points. That's it until uh, until until late in the game when 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 Oklahoma. Um, it just they they just didn't seem to respond as well as you would have thought. Flanders Fleming said after the game, "I would have thought we played better for a, for an older team uh, in this situation." But again, it was their first situation on the road. Um, uh, even though the lead was ten with about uh, three minutes to go, Florida scored eight points in ninety seconds. Hmm. Tyree Happ after I think it was at that time they'd made only two threes. Tyree two out of I would say twenty. I think Tyree uh, uh, hit back-to-back threes. Actually, Daruji had a layup in between. All of a sudden, it was a two-point game with a minute and a half to go, and the place that was really, really loud got really, really quiet. And it came down to Florida, you know, getting a defensive stop. And okay, what what better uh, situation do you want? This is our identity. Let's get this defensive stop on this play. Let's steal a game on the road that that, that a couple seconds ago seemed impossible. Well, they didn't. They didn't get that stop. In fact, they got again loose on a defensive possession. Uh, gave up a backdoor kind of uh, cut and screen to uh, to Jalen Hill, very talented junior forward. It ended up being a three point play. It went to five. You know, then it became a five point game. Florida didn't hit at the other end. Uh, 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 Oklahoma ends up taking it out to a to a seven point lead and, and holds on. But the good thing, I mean, if you want to say there's good, you you could always learn from losses. It's funner to learn from wins, um, but it's uh, I think it's easier to learn from losses because the, they're they're solid reference points, and you know it's it's another thing we we wanted to see how this collection of of uh, what I call them team transfer. Let me see. We wanted to see how they would what first of all how they would play together. Well, we saw how they can play together. Now let's see how they react to a loss. Uh, they got a couple uh, low major opponents coming in the next couple of weeks before they got to play Maryland up in Brooklyn. So uh, there's some work to do, and um, uh, you know, it, it'll be it'll it, it'll be the charge of these guys, these older guys, to kind of rally the troops a little bit and see how they bounce back. I want to move on to our PAT, and it's kind of a, an amorphous topic here, but it's about the current mess that is college football. Um, right now, we've got coaches jumping ship out of nowhere in the middle of the night, like Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley. Uh, one of whom left his team while they are very possibly still going to be in the playoff and is just gone. Uh, One of them in Lincoln Riley claims that he didn't hear a word until a couple hours before it was announced he had accepted a, you know, hundred something million dollar deal is what's being reported unconfirmed. 
Um, and then you've still got these these threads of these teams who've been left behind, and then their recruits are getting raided. And then there's issues with, well, are these guys able to transfer? What, how can the coach can just leave and these guys can follow? It's a mess right now. Uh, I, I want to know, what do we make of this current moment in college football? And it, it feels like we're going in a, a really different direction here with some of this money and some of the things that coaches are doing on their way out the door. What do you guys think about everything that's happened this week? Because it, it's been wild. Well, I mean, we've been heading in this direction for a while, but you're right. It's, it's picked up speed. As a longtime fan of college football, I mean, I, I've always loved the sport. Um, I don't necessarily like some of the things that I see right now this week. I'll, I'll say what I will do like, and we talked about it. I like a guy like Billy Napier who says, you know what, guys, I'm, I love this Florida jobs. I got to take it. But he, he was really important to stay with his team. And, I, you know, I was on his press conference Monday for the championship game. And, you know, like Chris said, I think Chris referenced it earlier. He said there was no way I was not coaching that game. And then you see the opposite from Brian Kelly. I can understand Brian Kelly getting an offer from LSU making $95 million. I mean, hey, and it's a new challenge. If you're a competitor and you're a coach, that's what your life's about. I can understand after – however long he's been at Notre Dame, wanting to tackle a new challenge. I don't understand jumping ship on your team. Like, why why couldn't that have been handled like Billy Napier did with Louisiana? I mean, right. I know I know LSU, going from Notre Dame to LSU is a lot different animal than going from Louisiana to Florida. But I still wonder, I just, I don't know. I, I just didn't like that personally. Uh, everybody's going to have their own opinion on it. I love, but I did like the way Napier stuck with his guys. And, you know, when you see something like that, that's why I've never been against. I don't like all the player movements. Uh, I like to identify with players. I think fans do. I think it's important. But, you know, if if 35 Gators said, you know what, I'm going to transfer, I can't sit here and rip them or whatever. It's just the nature of the beast when coaches are doing that, leaving their teams with, you know, a little message or a little – three-and-a-half, four-minute meeting. Um, it's just the era we're in. It's the age we're in. It's almost like everybody's kind of out for themselves, and I think in time that's going to be very detrimental to the sport and to the individuals involved. But right now the money's so big, especially for coaches. You know, what's going to stop them? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, until they change the rules and transfer rules, and, you know, it's, it's, it's free agency. Uh, in, yeah. in the, the college form of free agency. And just think about this. And right now I, I, I'm sitting in, in Norman, Oklahoma, right? You're there. <laughs> I'm there. Right. That's right. 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 There's, there's trader bed sheets hanging off a uh, uh, balconies <laughs> here. Right. Okay. Um, as I'm sitting here in Norman, Oklahoma, one of the A plus jobs in the country, football jobs in the country is what is open. Right. And that those players on a 10 and two team don't have a coach. And they are free to go. 85 of them can get in the portal right now, correct? Correct. Uh, or excuse me. Well, however many they have that have eligibility eligibility left. Hmm. So it it's open season on that front. And that's – you talked about this this place that we're in in college football. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very, very different when you, when, you, when you kind of think about it that way. Um, and I guess you could say the same thing right now about Notre Dame too. There and, and, and until they get a coach, they're they're up there 
there was those guys. There's maybe some 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 pretty good players who aren't getting enough time, and they, they don't know what's going to go go on next year. And uh, they, you know they're 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 trying to get ready to maybe play in a playoff or whatever. But there's probably some of them thinking about I don't even know if I want to be here because I don't even know who I'm going to be coaching. I'm going to go ahead and put my damn name in the portal. So I I don't know how it's going to play out, but that I just know that is a scenario that that is reality. And until there's some changes in the rules. And there were rules changes that got us to this place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I always thought that uh, uh, it was it was unfair when a coach got up and left that a player didn't have the same right. But it, it, I don't, and I don't even know if, they, if there can be a middle ground. And here's something else I've always thought: there's no good way for a coach to ever leave a college job when you think about it. And le- the best way is that he gets fired. I mean, that's not great for him, but in terms of the promises that he's made along yeah. the way to the recruits coming in, to the players that he has there to get up and leave. I mean, he, there, the, there's always going to be animosity. Well, you, you, right. you recruited me to, to come play. The, the only way that that can't happen is if you get fired. Hey, I, you know, I, I got fired. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. But, um, uh, you know, who are we to say Lincoln Riley did? I mean, they hate him here now. <laughs> You know, they hate him here now. You know what? The only thing, I I mean, gosh, I was, Chris, I was thinking the most analogous situation here. Is it Lane Kiffin when he left Tennessee and they named a sewage plant after him and went, I mean, and in both cases going to USC. So it's, it's way worse because, uh, uh, Lane Kiffin wasn't there in Tennessee long. He, what, he went seven and six. He wasn't there long enough to endure. So this guy was, a was on a roll. I just tell you, eleven months ago, when I saw Oklahoma beat up the Gators out in the Cotton Bowl, I didn't think that Lincoln Riley and Dan Mullen would be both be going eleven months later. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, yeah, very uh, true. My on, final on thought different is, circumstances. On different us. circumstances, but the final thought: it, it, this all reminds me of. I think the best advice I would give my son, or anybody should probably give their son, uh, when it comes to recruiting: go to a school where the school matters to you more than the coach that's old old advice but it still resonates probably more today than ever before i like to give your son some advice too. get into coaching (laughs) (laughs) well yes don't worry about playing go to coaching yeah 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 yeah. um final thought on this it's i think it's the question that's most uh relevant right now should notre dame's college football playoff fate should their candidacy be impacted by Brian Kelly no longer being there because the com- the committee is supposed to consider all sort injuries, all sorts of things that aren't in the players' control. Should this be used against them? I think it'd be ludicrous to that. It would be t- it'd be a travesty if uh, in their minds they should be if the minds of the committee they have them in there and they all of a sudden well they don't have their coach now we got to take them out. I I I think that would be criminal actually. Um, uh, I don't know that I could be like I could say it any more any more plainly than that because the the players on and I know I know it's all about the coach in college football and, and everything but it's the players that put themselves in that position and then for the coach to bolt um, if I was Brian Kelly and that happened I'd have trouble sleeping at night but uh, he has ninety five million dollar <laughs> ninety five million reasons to sleep like a baby now so um, that would be a shame if that were the case. He can afford that you know, that Egyptian cotton with like what a couple thousand threads. He'll sleep great on that stuff. Yeah, I mean I'm the same 
same answer as Chris. If I was on the college football playoff committee and I was in a meeting to decide that very topic, uh, I would have it would be difficult for me morally to count out Notre Dame just because their coach left. If that if that team is in the hunt and they want to play in the game and they deserve to play, Brian Kelly leaving is not going to factor my decision. You know, let those guys play and uh, you know whoever the coach is. It may it may manifest itself in a poor performance on the field, but yeah. sure. personally, I think that's irrelevant. I mean, they put themselves in position, and and I I don't like the idea of of, of an injury factoring in either. Um, if mm-hmm. if that if that if that were the case, because you know uh, it what the team it's team, it's right. not one guy, and and right. and what the team accomplishes, I think should be what is uh what is rewarded. We live in very strange times in college football, and they're getting stranger. By the time we talk next week, who knows what other crazy thing will have happened. Um, but we don't know, and we, we've learned that we cannot speculate because we'll never be able to predict how these things go. Uh, but we do know that there's going to be a press conference this weekend. Of course, we'll be able to talk about that next week. These guys will have coverage of it on FloridaGators.com. Uh, Gator basketball will continue rolling along. Chris will be all over developments on that front. Uh, and then, of course, you come right back here, you find out what's going on next week. Guys, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Adam. Being a student athlete can be challenging for a variety of reasons, so finding ways to decompress is essential. For senior transfer Zippy Broughton, she discovered meditation and adopted a zen-like philosophy you rarely find in locker rooms of any sport at any level. We spoke to the women's basketball guard about her journey to Gainesville and how she's found peace. But first, where did the name Zippy come from? Oh, it was ironic that my name is Zipporah, but it actually came from uh, I was just really fast. I started off playing soccer and I was just zooming past everyone. And I think my dad just one day said Zippy and then it just stuck from there. How did you end up transitioning to basketball and how good were you at soccer? I actually was really good at soccer. Like that was my first love. Uh, But then I just being really good at basketball as well. Um, And then. I just stuck with basketball because my brother was the soccer player. I was the basketball player. So we just went our separate ways. You always like to ask athletes, uh, you know, at this point, usually specializing in one sport, but generally there's a bunch of them that that led up to it. What other sports besides soccer did you play? And how did those then feed into your your basketball ability? Oh, track. Definitely track. Uh, I love sprinting. Um, I wouldn't say my flexibility, <laughs> it didn't help for me to be that great <laughs> at it, <laughs> but my speed, my speed helped me a lot on the track field. So you mentioned your brother, he was the soccer player, you were the basketball player. Tell us a little bit about your family and, and where you grew up. Gotcha. Well, I grew up in, uh, Wetumpka, Alabama, uh, went to high school in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, there are no athletes in my family. Uh, maybe like my uncles and my cousins, a uh, couple NFL players, but other than that, my mom and dad, no athletic ability at all. Hmm. Did, would you say that to their face or are you just saying that because they're not here right now? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that to their face. <laughs> um, so given that that wasn't, you know, like a, a set path, when you started going down that direction to being, you know, really serious about competing athletically, uh, was there resistance to it? Were they on board? Was that was that an arena that they knew, or did they kind of have to discover that as you grew and uh, and uh, evolved? 
So there was absolutely no resistance at all. Um, I could say, I will say that my parents were very humble as in asking for help uh, because they know they didn't know anything. And to this day, we're still realizing stuff that we didn't know. And like with social media, you'd be like, wow, like these kids have some crazy mediums to get their self out there that I wish I would have known about. But I mean, you live and learn. Was there a moment you remember where you realized, okay, th- basketball is something that can really take me places? Like this could be, you know, I could get a scholarship with this. I could go play it at a major school. Is there some time you can think about where it, where it clicked in that way? Oh, well, since I've been playing, uh, my goal was always to play at the top level. Um, started off as just being fun. Um, but, you know, now that I think about it, it wasn't really just a – hey, I can get a scholarship. Like, I knew it. Like, I knew for a fact I could get a scholarship. So it wasn't really a concern of mine. Mm. What was it that you that you loved about the game? What Like, what what was your entry point that drew you in? Did you start making a ton of shots outside? Did, were you playing one-on-one and blew past people? Like, what, what was the <laughs> moment where you realized, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, I like this. I like this a lot. Honestly, I can't say. I mean, I, I've always been pretty fast, so I was blowing past everybody. <laughs> Um, And I grew up playing with boys and just the fact that I'm like, okay, I'm a girl and I'm out working all these boys. Maybe maybe I could do something big with this. (laughs) Were they were they intimidated by like when you were playing with guys and and beating them? Were they uh, how how did they respond to that? I will say that they helped me better, helped me become better, because uh, at the end of the day, like they didn't want a girl to beat them. So a lot of times like. I got a couple bruises for like guys <laughs> pushing me intentionally just because they didn't want me to beat them. Yeah. It's listen, it's bravado is a tough thing to crack, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when you started getting recruited, what do you remember about that process? Ooh. So I remember I had all these schools uh, recruiting me like in middle school and ninth grade year, 10th grade year. But, like, nobody really wanted to offer except for, like, lower mid, mid-majors mid uh, because of my size. And my jump shot wasn't really the best. And then I just kept working, kept working. And then I just had this one big game against uh, Charles Henderson in high school. And I had, like, 43 points. Then after that, like, offers just came in, in, in. So many schools that was recruiting me out of high uh, middle school finally put the offer on the table. And then it just kept going up from there. Man, that's crazy. So it really, it starts in middle school. You're hearing from schools that early. Yes, sir. I mean, what are those like? It, I feel like when you're in middle school, most people don't even, they don't have any sense of really who they are yet. And here's someone yeah. saying, hey, here's what here's what I want you to do <laughs> five years from now. How do you even process that? Man, I was just excited to be on the phone with the college coach. Like, I, I wasn't even thinking about like the future. It's just, wow, like I'm really here. Just taking advantage of the present moment. Hmm. So you had said your your final three schools when you made your initial decision out of high school were Florida, Kentucky, and Rutgers. What made yes, those three schools stand out? The connection that I had here with the coaches at Florida, uh, that was definitely a big reason why I chose them. Um, Kentucky, I just I love their playing style. I definitely felt like I could fit there. And then at Rutgers, just Coach Stringer and, you know, just the lineage that she had and uh, just the sisterhood that was there. And that was a big reason why they was chosen. Yes. Yeah, so ultimately Rutgers, what was it they had that, that made them stand out over Florida and Kentucky at that time? Oh man. So on my visit, uh, they definitely, definitely welcomed me with huge uh, open arms. 
and just Coach Stringer, you know, we rarely talked about basketball. Like, she always wanted to know more about me as a person first and my endeavors off the court, and I, I really love that about her. So I'm, I'm thinking about going from outside Montgomery to right on the edge of New York City uh, up at Rutgers. What was that? Was there a culture shock there? What was that transition like? Oh, it was a definite culture shock. Uh, just going on the campus, like, wow, these are a lot of people uh, having to get around on your own. Like, here I am. Never caught an Uber in my life. I got to catch Ubers on my own now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was a huge culture shock. The food, the weather, just all of it. Were there people, I imagine you'd meet a lot of people who had never even encountered someone from Alabama before. Did you Did you run into that a little bit? Oh, definitely. Like, especially with my accent, uh, it was like, whoa, whoa. And I, I still don't hear it sometimes, but I think it changed a little bit up there <laughs> while I was in New Jersey. <laughs> But uh, yeah, did they did you get put into any boxes like, oh, you're from Alabama and then, you know, put this stereotype on you because you're from Alabama? Did you have to fight through any of that with people, e- even even funny ones? So after I came on um, the next year, two more girls from Alabama ended up coming. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So after that, like we just became this Alabama group. And anytime something country had happened or something crazy, like that's their Alabama stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So what what was it that kept you tethered to your your southern culture? What, what what were the ways you made you made a home in New Jersey for the three years that, that you were there? Uh, honestly, like I love the outdoors, so I just I stayed outside, uh, and also just having teammates, you know, that was from the south or whatever. They brought that, you know, some southern cooking too. My parents, <laughs> well, my mom would come up and cook sometimes, so that was really good. Yeah, what what did you miss the most about you know Southern culture that you couldn't get up there? Was it was it the food? Was it you know the not always the nicest people up there, not quite <laughs> as hospitable as they're on the South? What were the things that you missed most about being back home? Definitely say the food, man. The, the seasoning just not the same. <laughs> <laughs> what like what were the things you were like? Oh man, I I I need this now, and I cannot get it, and I need it, man. Like. Certain things, like I tell them I love Rotel dip. They're like, what's Rotel? <laughs> um, on Thanksgiving, they like eat stuffing. I'm like, no, we have dressing. Like, you know, that's the same thing. I'm like, no, it's a huge difference. Uh, and just overall, just everything, really. So when you decided to, to make a change going into your last year and, and transfer, what were some of the factors that went into that? Why was that the, the move for you? Uh, it was the move for me because... You know, just one day I woke up and like, it's time for a change. Uh, I've been going through the same thing for three years and, you know, it just felt like it was time to just move on uh, and just decide to make that decision. When most athletes make that choice coming out of high school, uh, the schools that are on the, the losing side of that, that's the end of that story, right? But yet yeah. here comes Florida for the, the sequel, right? Florida's back yeah. in play. What were you looking for in a school your second time around and why was Florida the fit for that? Yeah, so definitely a relationship with the coaches. Uh, definitely wanted something like that um, playing style, something that was more uh, a fast pace uh, and be able to, you know, do more transition basketball. In terms of athletes you look up to, I, I saw your favorite athlete is LeBron. But LeBron, <laughs> he, he means a lot of different things to different people because he's not just a basketball player. He's essentially yeah. a, a cultural icon. What mm-hmm. about LeBron is most meaningful to you? Um, because at the end of the day, he literally is more than an athlete. Uh, he, he stands up for social justice. He he doesn't mind putting his opinion out there. 
and a lot of athletes that prioritize their ability over who they are as a human. Um, that's not someone I could really look up to. And I appreciate that about him a lot. Hmm. Kind of in line with that, uh, for those that don't follow you on Instagram, you go by Zippy the Hippie. Uh, and <laughs> you have a lot of content on there about meditation, spirituality, stuff that you don't normally see from other athletes. I, I watched your yeah. your long your story. It, it was like uh, doing a, a calm session or, or headspace. Yeah. Um, how did you get into that? That that's not something most athletes that, that we talk to have a, an a, a affinity for. You know, uh, I just one day I I just stepped outside of the box. Uh, and I knew that I've been going through so much mentally in college. And someone's just like, hey, try meditation. And I kept looking into it. And I was like, wow. And then the more I got into it, the more it just, just I, I really loved doing things like that. Yoga, I love nature. So it just all correlated for me to be able to, you know, use that platform. Hmm. Yeah, and obviously it's become a really big part of your life. And I know that yeah. your 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 dog Hazel is also a big player <laughs> in that. Lots of appearances in the in the Instagram story. Um, how did that sort of take over you? How did how did that become you? It's one thing to be into something, but then yeah. to have that essentially become your your worldview. That that seems like it'd be a pretty big transformation. You know, like the older you get, especially around this age, uh, you're starting to become who you truly are, and um, you know, honestly, like those were my happiest moments when I was in tune with the earth, uh, when I was able to speak without speaking, see without seeing. And uh, just it, it really spoke through me. like words. Words really couldn't describe how I felt during those times. So it was really true bliss. And I enjoyed it a lot. How does your everyday differ from maybe other athletes because of this commitment to meditation and to, to spirituality? Yeah, so the beauty of it is it's always a journey. And, you know, I can sit here and say I'm not perfect. Uh, and it's not always, you know, pretty. Um, I could definitely say, like, right now, like, it isn't the best. Uh, I'm definitely inconsistent with it right now. But when I'm at my best, it's, it's me waking up 5, 6 in the morning, um, starting with gratitude, starting with, you know, yoga, starting with my meditations, um, and just going outside and soaking up the sun a bit. Uh, but yeah, though, that's when it's at its best. Yeah, it, it's rare to see athletes that are this engaged in this space. And I imagine some of your teammates, not just now, but throughout your, your life, are probably like, what is she talking about? Um, <laughs> how, how often have you had to sort of explain yourself and your philosophy to teammates? And, and how do you do that? You know, the beauty of it is my teammates typically look at me as weird <laughs> so they they don't ask me many questions they just they just know like zippy she just leave her alone she they, we know uh as have you, have you had teammates that have wanted to engage and have wanted to learn more about what it is that you do and, and how it might help them oh yes definitely so my uh old teammate at record she's now at georgia uh maury davenport uh she's actually like huge with it now and uh I know she would ask me a few questions and now it's just, it's taking over her life as well. And so I, I was happy that, uh, you know, that she was able to do that. Do you have goals for that? I mean, I know obviously you have basketball goals and professional goals, but do you also have aspirations in terms of 
having a bigger platform to share your philosophy to help people achieve more peace and uh, and I guess contentment. Yeah, so that's actually a great word, contentment, um, and that's the most difficult you know part about it. But it's also the easiest part. It's just I know one day I would truly love to just let go and just be, and it's it's definitely hard, especially with you know Western society and how fast paced and how we have to be successful. But one day I truly just want to be and just let go and just you know go wherever the wind blows me. Hmm. For people listening to this podcast, say maybe. Maybe they're having a stressful day. Maybe I mean, I, I had a very stressful day yesterday. I could have used some, some words like this. What's something you can share with people to help them get through today if today is a tough day so far? Ooh, that's a, that's a good one. If I had to tell someone to get through a tough day, first, I will always say it's okay. It happens to everyone. It is okay. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Be in the moment. And remember, just write down some things that you're grateful for, at least five things that you're grateful for. And when we focus on the things that we're grateful for, and then the things that we complain about can't overcome that. So just stay in that state of gratitude. See, I feel better already. I, I needed that. So I'm, I'm, glad, <laughs> I'm glad we had that. Uh, I, read, I read that the person you most admire is your mom. What yes. makes her such an admirable figure and, and so important for you? Man, my mom is so strong. Like... As a kid, you don't realize how much your parents sacrifice. Uh, but now that I'm older and I see how much she did for me to be able to, you know, be at this level, my dad as well. But my mom, she she played a major factor. And I just I appreciate her and both of them. Uh, I also saw Beyonce is your favorite <laughs> artist. Uh, what do you love about Beyonce? There's a lot. To, Beyonce is kind of like LeBron, right? Another figure who is just <laughs> so, so iconic that it, it could be something different for everyone you ask. What is it about uh, about Beyonce? She is one of the most known people, but she is one of the most unknown people. Like she feeds everyone with a long handle spoon and she doesn't really let her personal life overtake her celebrity life. And I love that about her. Hmm. Uh, top five Beyonce songs. If you had to, if Beyonce was performing at halftime, you could only pick five songs. What's the, what's the, the set list look like? Ooh, okay, Haunted, I'm on her Beyonce album. Um, love Drought, um, Drunk in Love. Let's throw it back to Countdown. Wow, okay. And, ooh, <laughs> you threw me on the spot, man. You threw me <laughs> on the spot. Uh, I'm going to just throw it back to... You could throw like Crazy in Love and go back to the beginning. Go yeah, all the way back to the beginning. Like, yeah, for sure, man. So I, I wanted to bring things back to basketball um, you know, you joined a team after three years somewhere else and you come into a program with a lot of people been there for a while. What's it been like joining the program and coming in as a transfer at, at this stage of your career? Man, I'm going to be real with you. It, it's, it's difficult. Um, you have, especially being somewhere for three years, it's not the same as transferring as a freshman. You have your way of doing things and you have your philosophies of how you've been taught of how things are supposed to go. And I can say that Rutgers is black and white compared to Florida. And so there goes the idea of letting go and having to adapt and, you know, be able to conform to how they do things and, you know, build that chemistry with my teammates. 
What have been the, the biggest differences between the two programs, between the two schools? Um, I definitely say the offensive style. Um, Rutgers, we were more uh, execution half-court team, whereas here we like to push the ball in transition. Um, definitely the defensive end. Um, Rutgers, we prioritize defense, whereas here uh, defense is something that, you know, we really like to key down on, but it's it's not something that's the main focus. We want to put points on the board. Um, but, yeah, definitely, definitely just the defensive and offensive execution. When you look at where you are now, what are your, your biggest goals for this year that you have, both personally and, and then professionally as well? Oh, okay. Personally, I would say my goal is, you know, I, I started out with so many different goals, um, but they it always changes. And that's, you know, the beauty of being the leaf in the wind. And now I just, I want to be a great asset to this team. Um, you know, this team has so much talent and they fell short for you know, for years now, and I want to be able to, to have an impact and say, hey, we made it to the NCAA tournament. We made it this far. And so I definitely want to make that change. What about off the court? For you for you in, in, in your life, again, you, you look at things in a pretty unique way. What are you hoping to take from this experience to wherever is next in your life? I, I love learning lessons. And I remember growing up, I have this thing uh, back home of all these Bible scriptures and things that are right about wisdom. And, you know, sometimes I'll get get upset and I'm like, God, like, why, why aren't I where I want to be right now? You know, basketball wise or success wise. And I have to remind myself that I asked for wisdom and to go through, to have wisdom, you have to go through experiences. And I've been going through a lot of experiences and learning from that and gaining knowledge and being able to spread that, you know, that's one of the biggest things that um, I'm glad that I'm able to do. Well, Zippy, we really appreciate your time. You've gained an Instagram follower. I'm going to keep track of what <laughs> Zippy to Hippie has going on. Um, but thank you again for, for being with us, and good luck the rest of the year. No, I appreciate you so much, man. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.